0: WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide, and the tough questions get asked and answered.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This weekend marks a somber day in America's history. It has been 20 years since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Nearly 3,000 people were killed, many of those in New York City when two planes crashed into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. The others died when a commercial plane crashed into the Pentagon, as well as a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, when passengers on board fought back against those hijackers. The attacks carried out by 19 militants associated with Al-Qaeda. Some of the terrorists had lived in the U.S. for more than a year and had taken flying lessons at American commercial flight schools. Others slipped into the country in the months before September 11th. The terrorists easily smuggled box cutters and knives through security at three East Coast airports. The attacks triggered a major US initiative to combat terrorism and change security at airports forever. Nearly 40% of victims from that day still have not been identified. We're taking a look at how New York City's Office of Chief Medical Examiner is committed to continuing the work to identify some of those victims. We're also hearing from local Charlotte area teachers who were in the classroom on that fateful day. We'll also take a look at how a baseball game was able to bring the country back together. Joining us today, Matt Ho, a retired U.S. Marine Corps captain. He has 12 years experience in America's post 9-11 wars. As a member of the State Department, he resigned in protest over the Afghan war in 2009, and he's now a senior fellow with the Center for International Policy. Joining us this weekend from Wake Forest. Matt, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me with you. Give us an idea. Um, What do you think, um, knowing this is the 20th anniversary, what what is the legacy uh, of 9-11?
2: Well, you know, for myself, uh, as someone who took part in these wars, the legacy is really uh, just sadness and anger. Uh, however, I, I think there's, um, you know, I, I think it's the perspective you bring. I mean, there's the spectacle of watching the United States go to war in, um, you know, literally do- uh, more than a dozen countries. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I think that people don't realize is is, is how far U.S. military. Uh, uh, operations and adventurism, if you will, have, uh, have reached. Uh, you know, at least a dozen countries, the United States has sent young, its young people to kill and to possibly be killed. Uh, you know, so there's a, the spectacle of that. There's, the I think, the broader government overreach, uh, the institutional and individual uh, profits from this war. Uh, people have gotten fantastically rich. And then, of course, there's the suffering uh, that have come out of these wars, both uh, in the United States and, you know, where hundreds of thousands of families uh, are dealing with the loss of loved ones, uh, either through combat deaths or suicide. They're dealing with both visible and invisible wounds. So, you know, amputations and, and, and other traumatic type injuries, as well as the invisible wounds of traumatic brain injury, PTSD, moral injury, you know, which leads to substance abuse and, and uh, you know, depression and other things. Uh, but also too, then there's the tens of millions of people, uh, really throughout the Muslim world, who have been uh, overrun, who have been um, overwhelmed, uh, you know, devastated, ruined uh, by these wars. And, and of course, we can go on and on. I mean, there's secondary and tertiary effects, right? So you could talk about the the, the effects on on people of Europe because they have had to absorb the refugees of these wars so it's hard to make a, a, a I think it'd be very hard for someone to say that these wars have not had the the consequences of 9-11 have not been um really quite astounding robust and you know ever-present
1: I think a lot of people would agree with with, with aspects of, of what you just said and you certainly know it firsthand um let me be contrarian for just a second though and say what would you say to folks who who say you know what there's not been another attack like this on American soil in 20 years. And the fact that that is the case means that we've had some success.
2: Well, there wasn't an attack like this before uh, either, before Um, 9-11, you know, and you have to look at it, how many attacks have there been? There's been more than 60 Al-Qaeda attacks uh, against the United States since 9-11 by, uh, you know, by Al-Qaeda, as well as a number of other terror groups. Uh, Look, uh, uh, on 9-11, there were 400 people in Al-Qaeda total across the world. you know most of those people were not in Afghanistan. Um, this is according to the US FBI. Uh, and so what 9/11 did or, or the American response to 9/11, um, you know invading and occupying Afghanistan, invading and occupying Iraq, uh, the wars throughout the Muslim world, whether it be Yemen, Libya, uh, Somalia, Syria, et cetera, um, you know that 400 number, uh, you know total number of people in al Qaeda on 9/11, has grown to the tens and tens of thousands. Um, you know they have uh, taken over entire cities and regions. They still control uh, parts of Syria. Uh, so this has been a great success for Al Qaeda in a number of different ways. Uh, as well, too, then you had groups like the Islamic State form. I mean, all this is repercussion. All of this is the result of uh, you know the wars that the United States has chose to engage in these last 20 years uh, it's been a recruiting bonanza for al-qaeda and you know the fact that uh, there was a, not another 9 11 type attack you know there's a lot that could be you know you could debate that uh, but there also wasn't an attack like that before uh, you know the purpose is in 2004 bin laden said um you know you can send uh, two mujahideen to the farthest ports of the world raise w- raise the banner of jihad and the american generals will come running uh to fight wars and will bankrupt themselves economically and morally and so you can see that uh bin laden's strategy was uh quite effective uh you know it, with that because just that one attack caused the united states to invade occupy and conduct these wars that have um done exactly as bin laden wished uh, they, have, they, have, they have cost us trillions of dollars they have cost us uh, you know, ruin the lives of hundreds of thousands of American families. What do you think, um, though? Let me, well, let me just
1: interrupt real quickly. What do you think would have it, been a, a better, more effective, more nuanced strategy starting on September 12th, 2001?
2: I, I think certainly uh, pursuing this as a law enforcement style approach. Uh, the best successes that, that, that you know, that the uh, capture of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was the mastermind of 9-11 um which took place in in Pakistan uh you know the killing of Osama bin Laden took place in Pakistan those were all done through um you know what you would call law enforcement style missions yeah maybe it was Navy SEALs that killed killed bin Laden but leading up to that was really a detective style approach um and I I think that would have been a much more effective strategy uh as opposed to occupying a country the size of Texas which is about the size, which is what, uh, which is what Afghanistan is, you know, and then, of course, leading into the other wars, uh, you know, uh, most especially Iraq, uh, you know, by focusing strictly on Al Qaeda, as opposed to trying to, to uh, uh, overtake and then make these nations in our own image, uh, if you will, uh, that would have uh, not allowed for the blowback. That would not have allowed for these repercussions uh, that we have seen, again, with tens of thousands of people joining um, these groups, like Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State, uh, or various insurgencies, militias, or, or etc., because what we do know about these groups, about these memberships, is that the majority of the people in these groups, anywhere from 75 to 90% of people who join you know, what we call jihadist groups, are joining these groups, not because they hate American freedoms, not because they are religious zealots, uh, but simply because they see themselves as defending their communities from attacked by the out by outsiders, by the West, uh, you know, I mean, by, you know, they are they are um, responding to the fact that friends or family of theirs have been killed, wounded, uh, um, preyed upon in their view by outsiders. And these are the uh, only options for them to help defend their communities, their people, uh, their way of life, you know, et cetera.
1: We, final minute left. A lot of folks have been highly critical of President Biden in the last few weeks and with the withdrawal um, from Afghanistan. But but you've been critical of this mission going back uh, 10, 11, 12 years and, and sort of uh, could see this sort of end happening all along.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as long as the United States was trying to achieve military victory in Afghanistan as the sole outcome, um, there was this was going to be the inevitable inevitable result. Uh, This last month in Afghanistan is what losing looks like. This is what defeat looks like. Um, There is no, there's no way, there's no better way to be defeated, uh, if you will. Uh, And so, of course, it was going to be ugly. It was going to be messy. It was going to be humiliating. But that's the consequence, again, of choosing military victory uh, as a sole outcome, as opposed to negotiations, uh, or as opposed to, uh, you know, any form of negotiation, right? Any type of, 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 uh, uh, desire to achieve anything other than a, uh, a, a victory was something neither Republican nor Democratic administrations could stomach. And so this was the consequence.
1: Matt Ho, retired U.S. Marine Corps captain. Uh, we appreciate your service. We appreciate your expertise. The fact that it's coming from right here in North Carolina, we appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to this special edition of Flashpoint. For those who watch 9-11 unfold, many say it will forever be with them. WCNC Charlotte's Tanya Mendez introduces us to three local teachers who were at school with their students when that first plane hit the World Trade Center.
0: Quarter to nine in the morning. I was sitting in that that exact chair right there the school day was just getting started If i remember my blocks right it was like first second block when all of a sudden in history classrooms all across the carolinas history played out in real time
3: the teacher came running up the hallway and said turn on the tv we've been attacked at that point you're like what has happened
0: The lessons of the day were canceled as Robert Brown's AP history class sat transfixed on what they saw on their screen.
3: And we kept watching and kept watching. And it wasn't 10 minutes later when the second one hit. It was almost a collective.
0: In Daniel Bryan's classroom in Kannapolis, they watched until there were just some things that children shouldn't see. Meanwhile, in Hickory, Drew Daniels didn't have a television in his classroom. He kept up with what was happening by checking news websites, and then made the impossible decision.
3: I told him. Uh, I, I don't know if that was the right decision or not.
0: Innocence, and so much more, lost. In that moment, Daniels became more than their teacher.
3: There was some fear. I remember students asking, do you think we're safe?
0: Brown says he and the students he was with still have a bond to this very day.
3: It is a touchstone that we all have in common, is you know we saw this together, we experienced this together, and we had to figure it out together.
0: For years, none of them could teach 9-11 without it all coming back for them, and for the students. But as the years went by...
3: These students weren't alive 20 years ago. Um, They have no memory of it.
0: It stopped being a shared grief.
3: With this generation, they're so far removed from it, it doesn't register.
0: The newest chapter in a history book for the students today, the darkest chapter in modern history for the teachers.
3: For me, it's still personal.
0: Which is why, with all of the pictures of all of the historical moments in time in Drew Daniels' classroom, 9-11 isn't there on that wall not ready to let it be another picture of the past, not ready to forget what he lived.
3: I can remember what I was wearing
1: that day.
0: For WCNC Charlotte, I'm Tanya Mendez.
1: Listen to this, 20 years after the 9-11 attack, 40% of families have, had not, have not had their remains of their loved ones identified. We're talking 1,100 people who remain unidentified. The New York City Chief Medical Examiner committed to continuing the work to identify additional victims In fact, just this last week, two were identified. These were the first two positive IDs since 2019. NBC's Stephanie Gosk has the latest.
4: Medical examiners are not first responders, but that day, Mark Desire went straight to ground zero.
2: When uh, the South Tower cracked and I looked up, you were just under.
4: His team barely survived. It was the start of one of the most complex forensic challenges in human history. Twenty years later, 40% of the victims are still unaccounted for. I think for a lot of people it's gonna be surprising to hear that there are so many people who aren't identified.
2: Everything that destroys DNA was present at Ground Zero. So fire, water, sunlight, jet fuel, diesel.
4: Nearly twenty-two thousand remains were collected in the years that followed. And while some families got the call, others like the stacks did not
2: i'm waiting for that phone call waiting
5: hey we we got we identified a piece and but it it
6: it
4: never happens larry stack was a firefighter 32 years on the job he rose up to the rank of battalion chief and loved every part of his job that love transferred to his sons who are firefighters themselves in 2001 larry stack was considering retirement
5: while they were looking at the first tower burning the plane hit the second one he put the binoculars down he looked at his guys and said I think they're gonna need us now
4: stack was helping an injured man when the buildings came down it was just typical of, of the kind of the kind of man he was he would have never left they held a funeral in 2016 burying a blood donation Larry made before his death
2: it was it was a sight to see
4: families like the stacks are at the heart of the medical examiner's work
2: We had to evolve. We had to push the science out of that necessity to make more
4: IDs. Just this week, they made two, Dorothy Morgan an insurance broker and another unidentified victim. The technology has come a long way, especially with extracting DNA from bone. So this looks very different than it did in 2001.
5: Yes. Yeah, there's no mortar and pestle here.
4: Using fake samples, the lab showed us the process.
5: Being able to grind into that fine powder allows the chemicals to better act on to those, you know, cells to extract the DNA.
4: And now, Desire says, new, more sensitive technology will give them an even better chance of making an ID. I'm very appreciative
0: of the work that they're doing. These people trying to identify everybody, I think they're, uh, no one's ever going to forget.
4: Your office has described it as a sacred obligation.
2: We made a commitment 20 years ago to identify everyone and that commitment is as strong today as it was 20 years ago.
4: His ripped jacket from 9-11 hangs in the lab. A reminder, there's still work to be done. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York.
1: More as we remember 9-11 right here on Flashpoint. Welcome back to the special edition of Flashpoint 9-11, 20 years later. The anniversary is painful for a lot of people. This week, the first fire chief inside the World Trade Center that day talked about what it feels like to return to the site now. So
6: what is it like 20 years later to walk around here and seeing these
1: essentially holes in the ground? It's a feeling that brings me back to that day because these were my buildings, my firefighters, and this city I love with people, thousands of people trapped from 90 different countries so every anniversary when i i look out um, and i stand here i i feel this emotional connection um for that
6: day you still see these buildings in your mind's eye i i do
1: it's uh during the year i leave all those feelings in my heart and on the anniversary each year i take it and put into my thoughts where I rerun the videotape. Along with being the first chief inside the World Trade Center, Chief Pfeiffer was also the last fire chief from 9 11 to retire. Much of what happened that day unfolded on live TV. Now we're taking you behind the scenes for a look at what it was like here at WCNC Charlotte in a newsroom. When that news broke WCNC Charlotte's Bill McGinty joins us now with that story. Mm -hmm. On much of the East Coast that day it was sunshine and blue skies.
6: It was just another Tuesday for the morning crew here at WCNC. Larry Sprinkle was waiting to tell you just how nice it was going to be that day. It's going to be a beautiful day, mid 80s. Uh, I'm sitting in the Weather Center. You know, we do a, a, what's called a cut-in at, at 8.56, we're getting ready for that. In TV, our job is to sometimes watch TV, waiting for the cue from the network up in New York, sending it back to local in every TV market for a weather cut-in that Larry was waiting to do. But that morning, the cue from the network never came. All of a sudden, I can tell that that there's some distraction in the studio. And then I hear one of the guys walk in and say, I think the Today Show is going to stay on. We're not going to do the, we're not going to do the cut-in. Oh, another one just hit. Something else just hit. A very large plane oh, just no. flew directly over my building. And, the- and we all watched what you all watched, the planes, thinking on the same the and probably feeling that same heavy feeling, was. heavy for New York, for the victims, for their families, and for our country. When we were watching it here at the station, to hear the reaction of all the people, at that point, We left the uh, studio, went into the newsroom and all the different monitors up there watching all the networks and everything. Still today, 20 years later, we all live with the memory of what happened that Tuesday morning, a terrible day in American history and that awful surprise that shook American complacency for decades to come.
1: Bill McGinty reporting for us there. As the country mourned in the days after 9-11, it looked for something to bring everybody together and a baseball game, and the Big Apple provided just that. WCNC Charlotte Sports Director Nick Carboni talked to the Charlotte Knights manager who was a part of that game.
5: A pro ball player at the time, Wes Helms was like millions of regular Americans
3: on September 11th, home and horrified by the news. I was laying in the bed with my wife, and you know, my mother-in-law called me and told us to turn on the TV. And we did. We saw what was happening. Major
5: League Baseball games were suspended for about a week as the nation mourned. When play resumed, Helms and the Atlanta Braves were part of an unforgettable night in New York City. Their game against the Mets would be the first sporting event there
3: since the attack. Just the amount of emotions that came into play before that game, taking batting practice, just, just we knew the fans needed this. 50,000 people sold out.
5: The pregame was full of moving and emotional displays as families of victims
3: watched on the field. And when they rolled that... Uh, the whole flag across center field took up the whole outfield. You just look down the Mets line, you look down our line, you got grown men, I mean, tearing up. And it just showed what it meant to the world and what it meant to the game. The game itself
5: was memorable, too. The heated rivals dialing up another classic. But Mets slugger Mike Piazza was the hero New York needed, hitting the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning. It's on the
6: run. This one has a chance.
5: Run. The ever-intense Braves manager Bobby Cox,
3: who hated to lose, understood the moment. He said, I want to win every game. I hate when we lose, but I'm happy that they won tonight. The city of New York needed that. The team of New York needed that. Now 20 years later, like all of us, Helms reflects,
5: but with a personal perspective.
3: It means the world to me. I'll never forget it. Uh, You know, and everyone on that team, on the coaching staffs, and, you know, the fans that were there will never forget it. For WCNC Charlotte, I'm Nick Carboni.
1: More Flashpoint after this. In case you missed it, we've been looking back at the anniversary of 9-11 20 years later. As always, in case you missed it, you can always find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. And we'll see you back here next weekend.